Welcome to WeRDB. I am Brenton, and I'm joined as always by Danielle. That's me. And this week we have a special guest with us, filmmaker and host of the In Love With The Process podcast, it's Mike Petchy. How you doing, Mike? Great. I am happy to be here. How are you? Pretty good. Staying busy in lockdown? Yeah, man. Been uh, super busy um, finishing up a couple jobs and then prepping a movie, so... Uh, I am welcoming the uh, months off. I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> How are you guys? You guys staying healthy? You guys uh, staying busy? Yeah, we're still working yeah. from home and stuff. So we're we're in work that we can do from home, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a benefit, man. Like uh, a lot of people are freaking out, but I'm like, this is freelancer lifestyle. I would normally yeah. be in yeah. lockdown anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We had you on for episode 20, where we spoke about the movie Seven, so I'd highly recommend listening to that to anyone uh, listening to this one. And we talk about what In Love With The Process podcast is. It's basically looking behind the scenes in filmmaking and what the reality of the situation is, isn't it? Yeah. I I mean, the idea is that um, a lot of people want to get into this business and they don't actually understand what this business is like, and so... Yeah. I wanted to create a show that sort of cut through all the Instagram filters and cut through all the, you know, fake stuff that people say about this business and get to the real truth of it. And it's a great business. It's a fun business, but I think a lot of people aren't prepared. Yeah, uh, I can, I can imagine that. Yeah. And you interview some really cool people mm. on there, so I'd highly recommend that. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's been good. We've had a great year so far and uh, our guests have been getting bigger and better. And um, so it's been it's been a good it's been a good time. To say yeah. The least. Well, thanks for joining us this week as we count up the IMDb's best movies of all time and discuss some of the greatest films you mightn't ever have seen. This week, Redditor's number 52 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world is Alien. Released in 1979, starring Sigourney Weaver, Alien is a science fiction horror film set in the year 2122 on a distant moon for a planet 39 light years from Earth. Based on an original screenplay by Dan O'Bannon, Alien is directed by Ridley Scott. Now, we've got you here with us today is because this is science fiction horror and this is very much your wheelhouse, isn't it? Yeah, it totally is. I mean... When I, it blows my mind, let me just say this: it blows my mind that some people haven't seen this movie. I don't know how you haven't seen this movie. Yeah, uh, this movie has influenced every it has sp- space movie that you've seen, every horror movie that you've seen. Uh, they all really ripped this film off, um, and uh, I love this. is a, a movie that is a huge influence on my work. It was a big influence on my film Twelve Kilometers. Um, and I've actually been uh, really fortunate to be in Ridley Scott's offices, be it Scott Free, and and actually I've oh, seen wow. I've seen all of the concept art for this movie, like the actual original concept art for it. So oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, no, it's it's really rad. So um, this movie is, uh, it's, like I said, it's it's close to my heart. If there was a a Bible of uh, movies that I follow this one is definitely like the first two chapters three chapters so oh, awesome wow. yeah yeah now just before we dive deeper into this one I did just want to run through the release timeline of the whole alien series for people like Danielle who haven't seen much of the alien series and might not know more about it I was going to say I'm I was one of those people guilty as charged. <laughs> well, that's the point of the podcast, yeah, to introduce people yeah. to more of the, the great things, that influential things. Um, so this one was released in 1979 and directed by Ridley Scott. And the sequel to this, Aliens, was released seven years later and directed by James Cameron. I like yeah. how they went for Aliens <laughs> instead of Alien 2 or anything like that because this first one's very much just about one alien and the second one... It's a lot more aliens, and it turns it from a horror to straight up '80s action, and it's great. Yeah, the second one's really good. Very different vibe. Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize this, but 
James Cameron was coming off of Terminator. So he'd done mm. the first Terminator, which got him some cred. And then he got the opportunity to do Alien. But it was a huge hassle for him because he had to go shoot Alien in the UK. So that's where the the first one was originally done. So he had to go do Aliens in the UK. And he's working with a lot of the same crew. And the crew was more loyal to Ridley. The crew was more loyal to the first film. And so Cameron had a real hard time getting his team to understand his vision because he wasn't James Cameron at that. You know, he wasn't mm, there at that yeah. moment. So mm. um, there's a really good... The thing that's great about the Alien series is that if you go pick up their Blu-rays, they have fantastic documentaries on how they're made. I think yeah. they just they just did a new doc on uh, how they did the first Alien that came out like a year and change ago. Um, it's very well documented and it's fascinating between all the different directors that have been involved with this and the drama that's been uh, circulating around this stuff and then how this franchise ended up coming back to Ridley Scott again. So it's fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah, so... It was pretty much the same crew that they had to working on this seven years later? Yeah. I mean, so they ended up going back. I think they did it. I forget the name of the studio. It's the big famous studios in the UK, but a lot of the same team was coming back on it. And uh, James Cameron was coming from the US and he wasn't used to shooting in, in the UK. And the UK has got different sets of rules. They have tea time. Yeah. They have all this sort of weird <laughs> scheduling stuff that they do deal with. <laughs> Uh, and this is everything I've seen in the doc, so I'm you're yep. hearing this you're hearing this secondhand. Mm. Um, but it was fascinating to see how long it took his team to come on board and figure it out with him, and how much of a hard time he had with it, which seems to be pretty notorious with this franchise. Because then the third one was directed by David Fincher, yeah, who also came out in 1992. Did, yeah, he also did Seven, and notoriously the production of. Um, Alien 3 almost made Fincher walk away from directing completely. He won't even mm, put his, That was his first feature, wasn't it? Oh, wow. Yeah, he won't even put his name on that. Like, he's absolutely pissed off with how that movie came out, and they really ran over him with that. So this series has been notorious for that. The fourth one was directed by, what's the, what's the name? They did Amelie. It's, um, I don't remember. It's the guy who does all those Resident Evil movies. <laughs> No, 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 no. The it's fourth not... one, no, no. The fourth one was directed by. He did Amelie. It was a French guy. Yeah, it is a French guy. He did yeah. Amelie. He did City of Lost Children. He did. Uh, what's his big delicatessen? This was, I think, this was his big first jump into American cinema, and it was written by uh, Joss Whedon. Actually, wrote the fourth. Oh, really? One. Yes. So that one once again sort of fell apart. Uh, because of production, because I, I, if I, I don't know, I'm speculating, but I, I, I feel like the producers, the executive producers on those, uh, were kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, but uh, the whole series actually, and a lot of people don't know this, the whole series was originally conceived and written by Walter Hill. And for those of you who don't know who Walter Hill is, a director, he did Warriors. Was that the the Warriors, the the cult 1979? Yeah, is that the yeah, one you're yeah. About? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I love that movie. Yeah, the gangs in New York. Yeah, yeah. He did, man, he did a ton of movies in the 80s. Walter Hill is an infamous director, so uh, fascinating shit. Anyway, I'm ranting. <laughs> I think it's amazing that the looking at just the three directors, and you even said Joss Whedon, that there's so many people working on this that were working on it before they really hit their peak, and they all went in their own directions after doing this, like... It's interesting to have such big names mm. on the first three installments when they weren't big names at the yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. If you look at the history of it, originally the Alien movie was just a monster movie. It was like a trashy monster movie of the week kind of thing. And the big the big problem, because we're talking 1979. So you guys have to put yourself in this mindset. Mm. Okay. So uh, when did the first Star Wars came? I think the first Star Wars had just come out. 77? Seventy-seven. Yeah. So the first Star Wars yeah. had just come out before they had started production, and then you're dealing with uh, 2001. So that's sort of your reference of space, and we really haven't been doing a lot of space travel. So a lot of people don't have that reference of what space is like. Mm. Um, and then mm -hmm. they came out uh, with this script, which was initially just about an alien running around on a spaceship and a bunch of people having to avoid him. And Ridley Scott had done a movie before this, he basically self-financed his first film called The Duelist. And I think it was The Duelist. 
and then Alien, or was it the Duelist, Blade Runner, and then Alien? It's all in that range. I think Blade Runner was just after this. Yeah, so then it was the Duelist and then Alien. So he got hired by this production team as a young director who had just done his first feature, even though he was in his 40s, and Mm. he had directed thousands of commercials, thousands of commercials. Uh, And he was known as a commercial director. So a lot of his stuff was like very graphic and very beautiful because he was doing like perfume ads. He was doing all sorts of shit. And so then he got hired to do this movie and they brought him on. And what he, he essentially took what was like a schlocky movie of the week kind of bullshit script and added the art into it. That's in it and made it into this amazing show. Like he he invented this entire genre. Well, that's what I was going to ask. You mentioned like 2001 Space Odyssey and Star Wars. I was thinking for this time, was it normal to have, like an alien sci-fi that was just a slow build horror. It's about the aesthetic rather than go, go, go actions. Here's some crazy monsters. Like 2001 is the only one I can think of that's sort of like that. It seems unusual. It, it seems like it was creating its own sort of genre. Well, you got to go back and think about that time period, right? So you're yeah. you're talking about filmmakers. Mm. So right now, like myself, I'm influenced by the filmmakers that I saw when I was a kid. So yeah. you're talking like a 20-year mm. difference, right? Um, so these guys, their point of reference were like old Flash Gordon movies. Yeah. They, they were like, um, old, uh, 1950s, like, uh, the, the day the world stood still and invaders from Mars, like all that kind of really hokey guy in a rubber suit. Yeah. And they're always action adventure. Exactly. Not slow. <laughs> exactly. And they weren't very artful. Yeah. Like, uh, Ridley is an amazing painter. So he actually paints. And so for him, he's an artist, 100%. I call him visualist. He's a visualist. And so when he brought all that into this ship, what he liked to do is he finds artists that he can start his concepts from. And he found the French artist Mobius. And Mobius was an amazing illustrator that did graphic novels. And uh, Mobius designed essentially all the spacesuits. So all the spacesuits that you see in the first movie Mm. and the spaceship stuff. So he found him and then he found Geiger and Geiger is the one that his designs are, are actually the design of the alien is based upon Geiger's illustrations. And Geiger Mm. had like this really Hmm. weird sexual, gross biology creature stuff. And uh, when Ridley found his illustrations, he was like, I know what this movie is going to be. I know what this creature is going to be. Um, so I love that as an inspiration point. Let's let's look at art and jump from there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, like I said, I've been in his offices. His offices are full of like uh, fashion books and, and uh, graphic novels and all this stuff. Like they're consistently trying to fill their minds with art, and they're yeah. coming they're coming at it from an artistic point of view because he's a world builder. He's like James Cameron's a world builder. These guys build worlds. And mm. so to actually design and put these things together is really difficult. This is something I've actually just talked about on my podcast. This week I had the concept artist that has done all the spaceships for the Star Wars movies. He's done oh, wow. the new Batmobile design. And so mm. talking to these guys is fascinating because as a director, you have rough ideas of what it is that you want to do, but you have to surround yourself with artists that have imagination that you can, that you can pull from essentially um and he's really mm. really really good at that 100 mm, definitely um and he's also an artist in his own right he did all his own storyboards so he does all that all the time yeah i remember looking at the old storyboards i've seen them online um mm-hmm. and they're, they're really amazing <laughs> like even the ones that james cameron he's a he's an artist as well um and yeah. he does his, a lot of his own storyboards as well yeah 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 james cameron started as a vfx guy and uh the movie before terminator a lot of people don't know about this movie. Movie before Terminator was a, a, a little film called Piranha Two, and James oh, yeah. and James Cameron was hired as the uh, creature effects guy, the special effects guy, and the director. I guess the rumor is that the director got into a fight with the producer, and the producer replaced him with James Cameron, and so huh. James Cameron di- finished directing that movie. Hmm. Weird shit, man. So these f- the f- all hmm. first four installments um, starred Sigourney Weaver, and then. There's the prequel to the first movie, Prometheus, which came out in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the sequel to that, Alien Covenant, came out in 2017. Um, 
What do you think about those movies as someone who loves the original? Well, the thing that was fascinating, I think that the original is the best of the bunch, 100%. Yes. I think that it's definitely by far the best paced, the best production design. I love that, like, well, now it's like aged future stuff, but at the time it wasn't. In the 70s, like, that kind of computer yeah. screen stuff was the future, but now because yeah. they've set that in as as the reality, it sort of exists as the future in this world, um, which I love. Uh, Aliens is a great movie as far as like uh, action goes, and it's got a lot of really great stuff and strong female leads, amazing. And then Alien Three, I have a soft spot for. There's a bunch of stuff in that that I like, but the movie kind of falls apart. The fourth one sucks. And then uh, <laughs> hearing that Ridley was getting it back, I was fascinated by. Yeah, because both of these two new ones were both Ridley Scott again. Yeah, and the, and the fact that he, because for years he had just been doing period pieces. He was doing like um, Crusades, Gladiator. <laughs> Gladiator, Robin Hood, like all that kind of stuff. He was lost in the in because he loves that period, so he was lost in the like the Renaissance. So then he was like, "Hey, I'm going to go back to fucking sci-fi," and he did The Martian. And I'm like, "Oh, all right, hell yeah." Um, so when I saw that he was taking this on, I thought it was really cool. And then I really enjoyed the fact that his, the question, every filmmaker has to ask themselves a question when they start. Why am I going to do this? Why am yeah. I going to go, why am I going to go back to this? You know, we've seen, uh, four movies with this alien creature plus the alien versus predator fucking series that also existed with this creature. I uh, haven't seen those. Uh, they're trash, but are they? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're trash. <laughs> But uh, he came back and was like, look, we, we all know about the Xenomorph. We all know about this thing. I'm surprised that in all of these opportunities to make a sequel, no one asked the question, who is the space jockey? Who are, who are the, the beings that actually flew the derelict ship in the first film? Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was mm. cool. And I thought that his, his jump into that was really fascinating. And I thought that uh, his further exploration of god complex and dealing with the robots and the fact that the robots are hanging out with their creators and then humans are hunting for their creator that whole dichotomy was really fucking fascinating so i, I like them the biggest problem i had with the two new ones was the first four whether you like them or hate them it really established how this alien works what is how does the xenomorph work and how does it reproduce? And then the two new ones sort of just threw that against the wall and said, okay, it can be transferred this way or it can be birthed this way. And I feel like that it changed the law that was around that. Um, the rest of it I can tolerate, the rest, but it was that that annoyed me the most. It was the consistency that even Alien 4 Resurrection got right, I feel like. Sure, but would you have been excited to have a younger actress that kind of looks like Sigourney Weaver running further down hallways with pipes and shit and steam blowing on her again? Like, is that what you would have wanted from a fifth sequel? Is just a reboot? Rehash, yeah. You know what I mean? I know what you're saying, yeah. I, it's Look, I we can get deep into this kind of conversation. Where, <laughs> yeah. Where I think I have the same <laughs> conversation about the prequels in Star Wars, where... Everybody's like, people suck. These are terrible. This is fucking awful. And they say that shit all the time. But at least George Lucas was using his imagination and was trying something different. Yeah. I, I think those movies are mm. so much better than the, light, than the later, you know, feed the audience what they want, Walmart style of filmmaking that we've got from the, from the last three Star Wars movies. So, yeah, it, it's a, I think. I was happy with, with Ridley's two new ones because Ridley was doing them and Ridley was really trying to tell a new story within that that universe. And yes, when you first watch them, it's like, fuck, this is an alien. But then when you watch them again and you watch them a third time, you're like, this is fascinating. Um, so once you get over, you know, it's like being advertised that you're going to go sit down and have a cheeseburger and someone brings you out a filet mignon and you're like, I wanted a fucking cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but once you go back to it, and you're like, ah, wow, he actually did a really good job preparing the steak. Okay, all right, all right, that's cool. You know. Yep. Yep. Anyway. 
Uh, so, Danielle, you weren't really expecting much from this other than a dumb 1970s alien movie. Uh, what do you think about it now? Yeah, I didn't know much. Like, I knew there was an alien. I knew what the xenomorph looked like because it's alien. Mm-hmm. Can I just ask right? before you go on, do they ever actually mention that it's called a xenomorph or is it just a thing that we know? I think in the I think in Aliens. In the second it. one, okay. I think that's when that comes out. Okay. So you knew what the character looked like because it's so iconic. Yes. And so going into it, I'm like, I don't think I totally expected it to be horror. I think I expected it to be like thriller. Um, and maybe because of the sequels, maybe I expected it to be more action mm. than it was. But I liked it. Um, and I have to say the thing that I like the things that I was most impressed by were the set design and the special effects. I think they were so impressive for 1979. Mm. I thought the design of the spaceship and, you know, the corridors and the hallways, like, this wasn't any Star Trek shit. You know what I mean? This was, like, a really impressive, somewhat realistic-looking space vessel in terms of how the different passages were were set up and outlined and the elements that you saw within um the corridors and the rooms i thought it was very accurate to probably what something like that would actually look like and it looked like when i sat and watched it i don't know if we were watching a remastered version or whatever but like it was filmed really well it looked Mm -hmm. so good and the special effects were really realistic. Like nothing, we didn't have the the cheesy Arnie's plastic face and Terminator kind of thing going on. Like it was all pretty pretty aesthetically believable. I think that's a highlight of this movie is really the practical effects. Yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. I mean the practical effects, but also you can't overlook the amazing ensemble cast. Oh yeah, like the cast. Yeah, is- it's actually quite a lot of people in this. The cast is amazing. Amazing, and and the fact that Sigourney Weaver is just a supporting part; she's not the lead. She doesn't yeah. become she doesn't really become the lead until the end of the mm. film. Yeah, I love I absolutely love the cast in this movie. I think each and every one of them is so wonderful in their own way. Um, I love Ash, the character Ash, played by Ian Holm, which a mm-hmm. lot of yep. people know from uh, Lord of the Rings stuff. Uh, his character reveal. Are we worried about spoilers? Because everybody should have seen this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a blanket spoiler warning from this point forward. Okay. Uh, so go watch this movie. Uh, but so the reveal that uh, Ian Holm w- is a robot, it was such a fucking surprise when I initially saw it. And I know it surprised the shit out of people in the theater. I mean, it's documented that people were having heart attacks and strokes in this. Really? In this in oh, the screening wow. in, in the 70s. Um his transformation is so amazing that when you go back and watch the movie a second time, you watch it knowing that and you watch yep. how he how he reacts and how he interacts with people. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's amazing. Mm. I think the brilliance around that is his character is a little confusing because it's like, what are his motivations? Why is he doing this? But as soon as it has that reveal, it's like, oh, it completely changes all those things. It puts purpose behind it, and it's great. Like you understand what's going on now. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's this there's this moment with him where they're all they're actually leaving the spaceship and they're going to look for the derelict spaceship, and he's going to sit down in front of the video monitors and observe what's happening. And there's this cute little moment that he has where he stands there and he just runs real quick. He just does this. And he runs real fast and then he sits down in the seat. And when you watch it afterwards, you're like, is that something that he has to do as a robot? Is that something he has to do to make sure that his legs are working right? There are all these like little questions that come into play uh, yeah. on, on a second viewing because it's so beautifully textured. It's mm. gorgeously textured. So uh, I would say even if it was like, I'm trying to think of a good example. The production design could have been amazing, but if the cast sucked or if the cast was anything less than what it was, it wouldn't have been the movie. Mm. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. John Hurt. John Hurt. His performance with the chestburster. Oh, the chestburster scene. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that 
that chestburster scene was improv. Only John Hurt and the director knew what was going to happen to get the real experiences out of the other actors when that came through his chest. Yeah, I've heard that too. For the first take, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. For the first take that that they and basically they just put like a um they hit a squib which is like a yeah. blood pack in his chest and and it freaked the fuck out of everybody. Um, yeah. I love that shit, man. I think it's uh, that sequence is amazing. Um when Harry Dean Stanton is looking for the cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Down in the like the, that room that like wet chain sound designed amazing sequence and then playing that whole thing on the cat's face. That's I think that's why it stands out. Because if you think about it, you don't really see the alien that much in this movie. And when you no. when you do see it, it's covered with like really stroby, weird lighting effects. And it is still a guy in a rubber suit. And Ridley was really smart about that. Where he was like, look, we're barely going to fucking see it. It's only going to be in shadow. None of that matters. And then if you look at the way he designed the spaceship. The spaceship's got like steam blowing out of it. It's got like rotating lights, strobing lights, all this different stuff that you wouldn't really build in a spaceship because you'd give yourself like a, like a seizure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, um, but he he designs the ship to look this way to create this atmosphere that adds tension and fear and enables him to hide the effects, which is very fucking smart. Well, it's so clever because it's twofold, right? It's allowing you to hide the sort of cruder aspects of those special effects, but it's also, like you were saying, playing onto that. You you fear what you don't know, and if you don't see it, it makes it that much worse, right? Like, yeah, better better no, the dude. enemy you know, kind of thing. It's so it's, clever. It's, it's it's a big reason why the the classics are the classics. It's a big mm. reason why Jaws Jaws is Jaws is because at that time they they had no choice because they didn't have the advancements in technology. They didn't have all that stuff. And now you do. And I think the big reason why when CGI started to really find its legs, a lot of people uh, shunned away from it. And they're like, this is too CGI. I don't like the CGI. I don't like all the computer special effects. I don't like all that stuff. And it's it's not necessarily because CGI isn't as good as practical. CGI is an amazing tool. Mm. Um, but it's because we're not allowing the audience to fill in the blanks. We're not allowing the audience to to fill in the things that they can't see, to create images in their mind of stuff that they're listening to. And what happens when you let the audience do that is the audience is more invested in it. It's like when you read a book. If you read a book, there are no pictures in a novel. You're creating those images. You're creating that world mm. in your mind. Mm. Um, and that technique also works really well in film. Mm-hmm. I think that was sort of the mentality that Spielberg had when he was doing Jurassic Park, where he didn't want to do too much CG. He wanted people to really fear the T-Rex, which is one of the main villains in that. And uh, and when you do see it, that's completely practical. I think he did yep. have some CG for some of the more open scenes and things. But um, yeah, he does use it very sparingly because he was aware of that. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's this weird balance, man. Like, yeah, I'm in the process of prepping one of my movies right now. And you just selfishly, as the director, I want these things on set. Like, I want to see them. I want to be a part of them. I want to experience them. There's something about walking into a room that is just all green screen. And then there's something about walking into an actual set that's lit that you can walk through that lighting. You can walk through that steam. You can be in that space. It changes the the mindset of all the creatives there working on it. Mm. Um, and a lot of this tech is now changing. Like you look at the technology being used for the Metalorian TV show. They're now shying away from green screen and they're now going to like giant LED walls where they're projecting what's actually happening on these LED walls in the background. So that way mm. the talent can be exposed to it naturally. So it's... It's important. There's a, there's a big difference. I also say the same thing with guns. Like if you watch gunplay in movies, a big thing right now is just put in muzzle flashes. So people will mm. run around with rubber guns or they'll run around with airsoft guns and they'll just put in the muzzle flashes and post. But the problem is, is that if you fire a real weapon, that kicks into your chest, that kicks into your arm, that mm-hmm. changes the way your body moves. And more importantly, if you hand somebody a gun 
that is loaded, they hold it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's important. I think that's the difference between CGI and practical. When there's an actual practical experience, when there's a physical experience happening with a lot of these things, uh, people have more to pull from. Actors have more to pull from. I think there's a very distinct three acts to this. I, I didn't really have any idea. Did you guys want to have a launch point? I was just going to talk about the movie. <laughs> no, go, go right in. Right. I was trying to think. Um, um, no, because there's very much like the quiet buildup, the face hugger problem, and then like the horror ending. So like you said, you don't really see the enemy until act three. The first act is them just exploring the planet. And I think that that's essential. Like it's, But that's part of the whole thing. Yeah, you're right, dude. It is essential because you have people that are in cryosleep, which is a whole new idea, by the way. We've sort of mm. glazed over that. Mm. The idea at that time, which was in theory, that you would essentially slow your metabolism down and be able to travel for longer in space. This is something that we just sort of take as knowledge right now, where it's like... Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Had that been shown before? No, I don't think so, man. I, I don't know if they did it in 2001, but I don't think so. And... You know, nowadays we we say that it's such a natural, like we assume that that's actually what happens in space where it's bullshit. Like it's never been tested. Yeah. So the thing that's so fascinating about it is that you have these people that wake up from cryo sleep and they're completely disoriented and they're getting a distress signal from this planet. And then we basically crash land onto the most dangerous fucking planet that you've ever been on in your existence. And this is like during a time period where you're watching Star Trek on TV and planets are like red sand and and girls dressed with like green paint. (laughs) You you know what I mean? And so you're flying this spaceship through this like insane, almost sandblasting lightning storm. And you land on this planet that is like uninhabitable. And then they hunt through it and they find this amazing piece of art, this ship, this giant ship. And then to make it even more interesting, they find these fucking eggs, like this organic structure on these things that attach themselves, or one of them attaches itself to uh, one of the astronauts' faces. That setup is so huge. It's mm. so important. That actually, after watching all the sequels and the prequels and going back to that, when they're walking on the planet and going into the spaceship, it makes me so much more uneasy knowing how dangerous that planet is. I'm like, don't touch anything. Get out of there. <laughs> um, so Yeah, just like watching them. It's like he's playing around with the egg. I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> I mean, the movie is a perfect study in suspense. This movie isn't yeah. really... It, it's got a gore element to it, but it's more of a suspense movie than anything mm. else. You know, between the performances, between the, the music, Goldsmith's music for it's amazing. And then, you know, just the coverage and the way he blocks his scenes. It's, it's, a, it's a fucking work of art, 100%. And I, I, a lot of times, if you're listening to this, well, at this point, you've, you've, we've gone past the spoiler, so you've actually watched this movie. But if you haven't, and you're listening to this. I hate it when people build movies up and they're like, it's the most amazing fucking movie you've ever seen. And then you're like, ah, damn, it's probably not that good. This guy's old. What the fuck does he know? <laughs> um, but the truth of the matter is, is that this movie's amazing. And if this movie was released, if this movie had a trailer come out next week online and A24's logo ran in front of it, this would kill in the movie theater. I yes. reckon it would. It's, yeah. It still holds up. It still holds Particularly up. Particularly with A24 behind it. Yeah. 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 I was just going to ask, why do you think, like, how does the alien grow so fast? When I first watched this, I'd like, is that, a, is that a different creature they got on the ship? What the hell is that? It's a little confusing, but it's like, maybe because it's like a shock element that, holy shit, this thing is very much a real problem because it's grown so fast. Did you have a problem with how fast it grew? No, it was just a little confusing the first time. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, because I was going to say, dude, they're in a spaceship. They did cryosleep. There's all this bullshit that doesn't exist. So yeah. He yeah, no, it. absolutely. He, he could do whatever he wants. It's just, it's immediately like, oh, this is much worse of a situation than what you originally thought it was. There's a bunch of fascinating stuff out there on the alien itself, which is interesting because everybody's so fascinated with that creature because it's such an arresting. I don't think there is another monster like it. Incident. Oh, it's yeah. created as such an amazing villain. Like, you do not mess with it throughout any of the movies. I mean, it's blood is acid. Yeah. So, like, and it's, it, it puts itself inside you. So there's this weird sort of sexual thing that happens where, like, 
It literally puts a thing down your throat and lays an egg inside you. It's like, ugh. And then, yeah. you know, it's blood is acid, so you cut that. Then it, then you can... Which it's, is terrifying it's, in a spaceship. Exactly. It'll burn its way through the hole. They do such a good job of that. Um, and then... How do they do that practically, by the way? The whole acid thing. Maybe foam? <laughs> yeah, I would assume it was like a foam build. You yeah, know? and then you can burn through foam pretty easy. Yeah, because you can paint foam to look like metal. Yeah. Easy. Easy, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of really cool tricks you can do for that. Mm. Um, but the, the the interesting thing about the alien is that um, I had heard that the reason why it was gray in color was that it bruises really easily. And so when it comes out of the body, it's like that sort of creamy, yeah. like yellow color. The idea is that because of how, I want to say how fragile its skin is, that it bruises a lot. And so then that's why it changes that color is what I had read, which was interesting. Yeah. Um, and because it grows so quickly, there's all, all sorts of really weird stuff online about this. Uh, people get really fucking nerdy about this franchise. Yeah. yeah. I like the background lore that's just been sort of created around these things. They're great comic books on it too. Like um, there's a whole great series for years. There was a great series done by Dark Horse on it. And then there's a new run of really great comics on it, and that's how Alien vs. Predator came about. Oh, okay. It's a crossover in the comic books. Because in the comic books, yeah. I think Dark Horse owned the publishing rights for both Alien and Predator, and they were just like, let's smash them up. And then uh, uh, somehow they made those into movies. So, which is weird, too, because now the Predator is in the same universe as that, and there's a bunch of different universe connections that happen. Uh, it's fast. Like, it's such a big universe at this point. Because Oh, it's also it. meant to be in the same universe as Blade Runner, isn't it? That's the idea, is that it's supposedly in the same universe as Blade Runner 2 with, uh, with the companies. Uh, what is it? Uh, Wakatami, or what was the name of the company in the... I don't remember. It did start with W, didn't it? Yeah, I'll dig it up. I, I should know that. Um, but, uh, yeah, the theory is, is that they're kind of in the same place. He never really comes out and says that they are, but... It's it's fascinating shit, man. I love this whole franchise for it. I think that when it comes to horror stuff, Alien really stands on top of everything else. Um, because, you know, what are you what are you dealing with at that time period? You're dealing with Nightmare on Elm Street. You're dealing with Freddy Krueger. You're dealing with Jason mm. Voorhees. You're dealing with Leatherface. All of these, you know, kind of cheesy, hokey franchises. And then you have fucking Alien. Which... Those other series, they just pumped out sequels and sequels, and they're not great. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just surprised that the sequel to this was seven years later, the sequel to that was six years later. Like They took their time, and it kind of shows. For sure, for sure, for sure. And this you know, this one harkens back to the, uh, the old school stuff. This harkens back to, like, Invasions of the Body Snatchers. This goes back to, like, Alfred Hitchcock, you know? Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. is really pulling from, from the good stuff. Not to say that those other movies aren't amazing. You look at the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and that movie is just like, it's so hard to watch. It's so beautifully done. Um, But Jesus, man, that movie is like vicious. Uh, Mm. And then the first Nightmare on Elm Street is a really fun movie, an exciting movie. I hate the fucking uh, uh, Jason movies. I think those like, yeah, yeah, I fucking hate it. I don't think I've seen any of them actually. Friday the 13th. They're essentially just like, they're uh slasher porn so it's just like yeah. it's kill fodder so none of the mm. characters in those movies can be anybody that you really give a shit about because they're going to be cutting them up so mm. most of the characters are just very two-dimensional kind of annoying so that way when he puts a machete through them you're, you're cheering it on you're just like yeah yeah kill that asshole mm. um and that's kind of what the that's why those movies those movies are like drinking games you know what i mean mm. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's like how drink every time someone you know has sex in a movie. Drink drink every time someone has, like gets a machete put through their face. You know what I mean? That's kind of what those fucking things are. Um, but Alien is art. Alien is art, man. Yeah, one hundred percent art. And like I said, I got to see the sculpture. I I got to see this, like mini sculptures and and his pieces and stuff. And it's like if that was in a museum, if you were you know going to any major museum, modern art museum, and that was on display, you'd be like, what the fuck? It's it's amazing stuff. Mm. Well, and I think it really says something too. Um, not saying that I'm any gauge for how good a movie is whatsoever, but I can't I can't do 
shitty horror movies because I get too anxious and I can't. And they're full of jump scares. <laughs> That's mostly what it is, is because I have an anxiety disorder, so I can't handle anticipation and suspense. So the fact that I found this fascinating and could sit through it, I think, is a testimony to the fact that it's done really differently, you know? That is a huge testament to it. Yeah. I agree. I completely agree. Because I can't do scary movies. That's just, yeah. Um, and it's so funny because, you know, if we're watching something, Brenton will say, it's not real. I'm like, yeah, but but that's not the point, though, you know? And I don't think you're saying that it's not scary. I think you're just saying different was the right word to yes. use. Yes, yes. Because it was. And there are moments where it's like, why are you doing that? You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Because yeah. it uses the suspense building and anticipation in a way that is more psychological than it is visceral, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, completely. Completely agree. And it's tasteful. You know, yes. there's a bunch of that stuff that's really interesting about it. And, you know, making modern horror is tough. Um, mm. Yeah. Because you, you got to remember, when this came out, you know, even when when I was a kid, you would go see most of your films in the cinema. Mm. And the thing about movies in the cinema was that as a viewer, you had zero control of your experience. So like you can't, like if you had to go to the bathroom, you had to run. You can't pause it. You can't stop yeah. it. Uh, you can't, at that time, you can't take out, like if you're feeling awkward and uncomfortable or if you're feeling bored, you can't take out your dopamine delivery system, which is your phone. And yeah. <laughs> sort of sit there and go like, well, I'm not, all right, I'll just check in on my uh, email. And then you're like, oh, that scene's over. Okay, good. Are we back to the action? And the side effect of that has been that film producers, filmmakers, or studios are like, you have to make stuff that keeps the audience captivated. And so you've seen a change uh, in the structure of films. Like these days, most films have like what they call a cold open which in the beginning is they usually hint to action and they, they do stuff really fucking quick to get you pulled into the piece. And then they have it all broken down to a formula where it's just like at this beat, something has to happen at this beat, something has to happen. And those things seem to condense themselves even closer and closer together. And so then you have stuff like Michael Bay stuff, which is 150 fucking miles an hour since it yeah. began, like, like an actor in his films cannot say a line. They all have to scream a line. You know, mm. like they're literally just on screen, just yelling, get off your fucking phone. And that's all they're doing. <laughs> and that's the, that's the whole Transformers franchise. Mm. Um, and so it's really, really difficult to build good horror. Now, the, the thing that's great about horror movies is that it's really the last surviving theater besides the big superhero shit. It's the last reason to go to the movies. And mm. if you, yeah, that's interesting. It's a, they're date movies. So like, if you want to go and, and feel a bit of adrenaline and a rush of adrenaline on a date and you want to go have an experience, you go watch like one of the Annabelle movies or you go watch The Conjuring or you go watch uh, Paranormal Activity. One of those things. And so then mm. you come out of it and you're like, wow, wow. And there's such a rush. There's such a euphoric rush that happens after you watch a horror movie. Um, we mentioned A24 and the thing that's so great about those guys and a lot of different studios that are taking their formula is that we're sort of going back to that creepy slow burn factor. Well, that's what I was just about to ask you is what do you, what, what's some of your more modern horrors that you enjoy? Uh, I would say, okay, so modern, I would say it follows was really great. Yeah. A lot of people are all pumped about hereditary. Mm, sure. But you know, I I've seen Rosemary's baby and I've seen the exorcist. Yeah. So both of those, I think, are better than Hereditary. Um, the Ritual was really good on Netflix. That was fantastic. I liked the Conjuring movies. I thought the first Conjuring and the second Conjuring were really fun. I liked the first couple, yeah. Did you like Get Out? Yeah, Get Out was fun. Get Out was fun. Which was definitely more about the suspense and like psychologically building up to a point. Sure. I, the problem I have with Get Out is that the movies that that is based upon, I'm not really a big fan of. Like uh, the, you know, Fish Out of Water. I forget what they call it. Um, but there is a lot of movies like, um, 
the old Nicolas Cage one where he's scared of the bees. Jesus Christ. Oh, uh, Wicker, Wicker Man? Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's based on all those old movies where it's like sort of a cult scenario and then there's yeah. like a create like someone is brought in as a victim into the cult and they have to sort of survive the cult that's never really been my genre mm-hmm. um i love uh that director for get out um peel and i love his work so that that's just really great but i'm also kind of tired of the crowbarring in social issues into movies yeah mm. i'm i'm really kind of tired of that where people are like if I heard a quote recently where they're like, if it doesn't have a social issue, then you shouldn't make it. And you're just like, fuck you. Like, it's like it's supposed to be a fun ride. You're supposed yeah. to make something that is escapism. And if you're teaching something along the way, awesome. But ultimately, it should be a fun ride. And that's, mm. what, you, that's what you're making, especially with horror. You're, you're trying to make something really exciting and interesting. And in the past, people have been able to introduce social issues into their ideas without without getting a pat on the back for it like if you go back and yeah. you look at like uh it shouldn't be your main drive yeah like you said before that question that directors ask when you before you start a project it shouldn't be i want to jam this down your throat yeah exactly 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 and social issues have become such a an important way to get clicks so yeah. The big plan for a lot of studios was like, let's cram some sort of social issuing into this because there's going to be arguments online and ultimately arguments lead to fucking viewership and lead to cash and lead to money because prior to that, people weren't clicking on trailers. People weren't doing that stuff. They were getting kind of tired of the system. And so they found this accidentally, I think, found this ability with films like the female Ghostbusters reboot and all these other things where suddenly they were getting more people talking about it because they were upset with it and mm. that was good attention that they were getting from it and so they were building these ideas around that and so now you know it's clickbait so they they come up with ideas based upon how many people are going to fucking click on it and, and whether or not it's going to be controversial which kind of sucks because you know you look at movies like mad max uh, fury road which you know from a high perspective and you look at that film and you go well it's a feminist movie and if you look at George Miller's interviews, he's like, it's not a feminist movie. The truth of the matter mm-hmm. is that I wanted to have a film about stealing from uh, their leader, from a god, taking what he felt was most precious, which at that time was like being able to have a child that wasn't radioactive and had, you know, five fucking hands, you know. And so he had to have a main character that would kidnap the women. Well, if he had a man kidnap the women, that changes the tone completely of the whole movie. It changes all of that stuff. And he's like, it makes more sense if it's a woman doing it. It makes it more interesting if it's a woman doing it. He wasn't creating Furiosa to empower females across the fucking planet and to create this, this, this leader for that. He just did it because it made fucking sense for the story and it made sense for the character. I love mm. Furiosa. I love that fucking part. I would say the same thing and bring this back to Alien about Sigoni Weaver. And I think- yeah. I think uh, within the past couple of years, a lot of people have been like, well, there haven't been strong female fucking characters. Fuck you. Sigourney Weaver shit in Alien, Aliens, that whole franchise, she was a badass. A badass. Yeah, even Terminator, you could say. Linda Hamilton, fucking badass. Like, they've mm. always been really great, strong role models. And I, I can't speak... I can't speak for, for women on this. I could just say that being a man watching these films with these women carrying these movies and being so strong and powerful in these films, I've always admired them for that. Mm. And I come from a family of of a strong mother and strong sisters, and I've always seen that strength on screen as more empowering than like, than this bullshit that they're doing. I don't want to get too deep into it because it's negative, but... I know what you said. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, and I don't know how you guys feel about it. Um, how does, from your perspective and from your generation, how are you guys processing it? I think now there's, like you said, there's a real push to almost create those strong female leads as like tokens than it is yes. as authenticism. Um, so Trendy. I'm, yeah, I'm honestly, I'm, a, I'm of two minds about it because I'm glad to see the push but i think the way that it's being gone about is too not genuine in some instances i think yeah. that's a good way to say it yeah. yeah i liked your analysis of fury road that's a very good point mm. because he wasn't doing it 
for the wrong reasons. He was doing it to because it made sense for the movie. It made sense for the art. And that's why it all worked. Else. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I find I would assume that it's insulting to have yeah, to have these to characters. think that you're shallow. <laughs> Yeah, to have these characters that are like, well, this was originally a dude, so we got to make it a chick now because everybody wants, uh, you know what I mean? And you, and that you feel like that lingo is the lingo that's happening in the back rooms where it's just like, mm. oh, okay. And I know for a fact right now, because I've seen it, that they're now calling in 2020, most studios are calling for all female leads, all, all like you're going to see such a, like a surge in um, female content on networks. And in movie studios and all this stuff, just because it's, they feel like they need to do it to make money. And that's where it gets shitty to me. Where it's mm. like, I'll tell you what, why don't you actually write a, a real role that makes sense as a real human being? Yeah. And, and instead of instead of just sitting there going like, it needs to be our idea or that right now socially the idea of what a woman should be in film, why not write it as a fucking flawed human, as a human being on screen? that we watch, we learn from, and we identify with. And it isn't just uh, specifically aimed towards one market. It's aimed towards everybody. Like you watch Furiosa on screen. I don't care if I'm a dude and I watch her on screen. I'm with her the whole time. I'm empathetic towards what she's going through. When she finally gets to that spot, she realizes that it's been gone and the mud that they were driving through was the world that she grew up in and it's now destroyed and she has that mental breakdown. It's just like, fuck. It, it's it's so good and it, it was done with the purest intent and i think that's ultimately in my rant the issue that i have with a lot of the new stuff and you go back and you look at alien sigoni weaver you felt like she was just randomly picked as the survivor it could have been mm. anybody else on that ship it really could have it could it have been any luck. of those dudes. yeah 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 and like you said she wasn't the lead no. And, you know, maybe at the time, maybe they're, and this is just, you know, conjecture, but maybe at the time they're like, well, it would be great if like we had that scene where she strips down into her underpants and her, and her skimpy shirt. So maybe it'd be great if she was the one that made it that far in the movie. I don't know. Maybe that that existed in that time period. Maybe that's the reason why they chose the woman to be the one that existed. Mm. But the the byproduct of that is that she was so fucking strong and so unstoppable by the end of it. That's just, just the, the pure strength, the courage that she had to put on that spacesuit when she knew the alien was in the ship with her in that pod at the end and go through that slow process and how she's, and the way he films her and she's like, I, I'm going to have that thing put its jaws through my face at any minute right now, but I'm still going to put my hand in the spacesuit. I'm still going to step inside the spacesuit. I'm still going to zip it up and go through this whole process and we're with her the whole time and then she turns and the fucking creature's there. It's it's like god damn it. I don't care who that is. I don't care what color that person is. I don't care what gender they are. I am with it. Mm -hmm. I'm with that story because it's good. It's a solid fucking story. You know? Absolutely. That's my rent. <laughs> it really is a very simple premise. The premise is they're in space, an alien gets on the ship and kills everybody and only one person survives. And mm -hmm. that's really it. And I, I said, I think the fact that the premise is so simple makes it a better horror movie because you have more to, like, you have more room to build because it's not complex, you know? It's refreshing to hear you say that. That's yeah? very refreshing okay. to hear you. Hell yeah, because the difference is, it's, it, and I think we should sort of celebrate this right now, that you're saying that. Because the difference on our end, when we're making things and we're dealing with studios and execs and all this stuff, they fucking overcomplicate everything. Mm. So like you, yeah. you you go in there with a simple idea where it's just like A plus B equals C. That's what I need. That's what I want. And the problem when that's on the page is it looks boring mm. because it's all technique. It's all style. Yeah. Yep. It's all like craftsmanship. Because from their end, they have to put trust into their filmmakers you got and they don't it. want to do that sometimes because it's not the easy way like, you got it man because then you're banking millions of dollars exactly on an individual um and then you know i think it was a lot easier to do that at a time period where the studios were essentially a couple of people that were running them yeah. and, and you would get that one or two person that was just like i like you kid you know and uh, we'll, we'll support you and come on in here and do that as opposed to what we now have which is like stepping into a boardroom at Walmart 
and mm. and then going through the process of being like what have we all decided can you imagine you just you you create you do a sketch for concept art i just talked about this on the podcast you do sketch for a piece of concept art at lucas films is it a lucas films one of the places over there at lucas films i think um you have to send that email out through like 15 16 25 fucking people and they all yeah. look at the sketch and everybody has to prove their worth so mm. they're all putting in their two cents like well do you really think the sky should be that color blue and you know the edges of that fucking blah, blah, blah. and so by the time you get all that stuff back you're just like what am i doing yeah what am i doing here and and, and that's what a lot of big budget cinema is right now it's just movie by committee not movie by artist yeah, especially when everything's owned by Disney. <laughs> For sure. Well, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, no, nothing negative to say about that because I want to make sure I have a career. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm not saying that movies aren't great right now. There are a lot of really great filmmakers out there right now. There's a lot of good stuff that's on streaming services. A24 is putting out amazing stuff. SpectreVision is putting out amazing stuff. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff out there. I'm just saying if you like it, Go see it, support it, go watch it multiple times in the theater because mm. all this stuff is on the verge of extinction. Vote with your wallet. You vote with your wallet. There you go, brother. Because uh, especially now, we're all locked up. We're all, we're all trapped. We're scared to death of, uh, you know, drowning in our sleep because of this virus that's out here. And now the funny thing is, is that everybody wants to be social because they can't have it. So everybody wants to have these social experiences. Yep. So it's my hope that after this, this thing breaks and we step out of the back end of this thing people are going to want to go do things socially again they're going to want to go to cinemas they're going to want to go have these events and support the filmmakers that make the stuff that you love and give them the power re-empower the actual storytellers and take it away from the corporations because uh star wars would have been a better the whole new star wars uh, franchise would have been much better if it was run by filmmakers yeah mm. You know, there's actually a lot of interesting talks on quarantine in this movie, which <laughs> kind of reflects uh, the modern times. But um, Ripley's kind of seen as a bit of an asshole because she wouldn't let them in. But it's interesting watching that now with obviously this whole new definition of what is quarantine and what can happen. But even looking at Ian Holmes character and why he does what he does, I, I do like watching that interaction from the many different layers that are there. Oh, hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Because she's just following protocol, you know, yeah. which is which is really interesting. I, I agree with her, even though she's seen as the ass in that scene. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and more than not, she was also seen as kind of like the, she was seen as like the uh, supervisor. Like my favorite, favorite scene in that movie, believe it or not, is uh, when they have trouble with the spaceship and they're trying to get off the planet and she has to go down and talk to uh, the two workers. Mm -hmm. that yeah. are on there and they're in that hallway and she's like how long do you think it'll take and there's steam blowing and there's all the stuff happening and they're just like i don't know like 48 hours and she's like and he's like i think we should get more shares you know because i think mm. they should get more money out of the thing and she's like you'll get what you deserve and then she walks away and they shut off all the steam it was just all triggered because they're just yeah. like trying to make a bigger deal out of it for their boss i fucking yeah. love that scene mm. uh movie's great bottom line <laughs> go see this movie if you haven't seen alien what's wrong with you why <laughs> well i feel like we could talk with you with movies for hours it's almost like you uh have your own movie podcast where you just talk about movies for hours <laughs> which i'd highly recommend you go listen to in love with the process podcast if you want to hear more about mike petchy and definitely go check out the other episode that you were on talking about the movie Seven, which we had a lot of deep dives into the movie industry in that one as well. That was a lot of fun. Cool. So man. thanks very much for being with us today, Mike. Thank you, guys. And and uh, if uh, you guys are listening and you want to see my movies, um, I have a film 12 cam, which is very much influenced by Alien. Uh, the only way you could do it is if you follow me on Instagram and you send me a message with your three favorite horror films. And if I agree with you, then you might get a link. So. Where can people follow you? What's your Instagram? It's it's just Mike Petchy. So it's at Mike Petchy at Instagram. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for being with us. Thank you, guys. I, I always enjoy hanging out and talking. And hopefully my rants uh, are uh, 
not that shitty. It's <laughs> oh. <laughs> a good way to put it. I think you're fine. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. We have been Danielle and Brenton this week with Mark Petchy, obviously. Thanks for joining us and uh, feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on all the socials. We're most active on Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook, comment on SoundCloud or YouTube, or support us on Patreon. And until next week, thanks for listening. I wanted to say too, like, so we talked about Kurosawa last time, and mm. those talks before we watched Seven Samurai, and then we went and watched Seven Samurai, and mm-hmm. I think that those conversations improved our viewing of that movie. We both really loved that movie. Well, yeah, having that perspective from a filmmaker as to why Kurosawa was so good, watching it, um, it really, really enhanced it for us. Just to, like, because you were analyzing his artful blocking. And yeah. we w- did a lot of look into his other stuff after that as well. So uh, it, it really helped. You know, that, that's great to hear. And I, mm. I think that a lot of people forget that when I was a kid, um, I would get that same stuff, uh, not from the internet because the internet really didn't exist. Mm. Uh, I would get that stuff from the guy that worked at the video store. So I would go yeah. to the video store and I'd bring a, uh, a movie up to the counter and the video store nerd would essentially go like, really? You're going to watch this one? watch this one and they'd sit there and they'd fucking rattle off all the reasons why to watch it. And then that viewing experience was so much better than if I had just randomly picked it up. And the, yeah. the king of that is Tarantino. Tarantino yes. was a video store clerk. Tarantino does that in all his movies. Uh, he reinvents genres that have been dead um, because of his love of cinema. And at the end of the day, we have to remember that, why, making movies and watching movies is like making food and eating food. Uh, yeah. A meal prepared, a meal prepared for you by someone that is in love with it, in love with the process, uh, literally tastes a hundred times better than just ordering takeout. Mm. So, well, I'm glad that we do this podcast to introduce other people and and Danielle, even myself, for some of the ones that I haven't seen, um, because we wouldn't experience them normally in our in our day to day lives. <laughs> What's up next for you guys? What do you what do you why what are you guys watching next? Uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Oh, I don't know if I've seen that one. Grave. It's of a the Japanese Fireflies. anime about World War Two from 1988. I think it is. I hear it's very good. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. I'll have to watch that one. Huh? Yeah, I think after that is Apocalypse Now, which again is another classic I have not seen. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like going on these journeys about introducing oh ourselves to things that we should have seen already. God, how have you not seen? <laughs> Apocalypse. Uh, all right, I'll do the same thing I did with Kurosawa for you. Okay. Here we go. So, the thing that's fascinating about Apocalypse Now, watch Apocalypse Now, and then there's a documentary that you can find. I think it's called Hearts of Darkness. Oh, it is. I've heard of this. So, the interesting thing about Apocalypse Now is that I think Coppola did this. I might fuck this up, but I think Coppola did this after the Godfather stuff. Um, yeah, because he had he had basically became a studio darling because of The Godfather and because of all those movies, and so they gave him the ability to go and shoot this fucking epic, this huge epic that he had to go do in the jungle. To the point, I forget what jungle he was shooting in, but he had a deal with the army there. He was literally paying the army to use their helicopters, hmm. and in the middle of his shots, the army would just take off because they would have to go do some army shit. And he would have like these giant shots planned out. The documentary is just as good as the film. It is just as good to watch this director slowly go insane. And he dragged his family down there and they're all living down in the jungle and they're all shooting this thing. And then he has to deal with Marlon Brando, who's a fucking crazy man. Yeah, I heard he was like (laughs) impossible to work with on this project. Yeah, Martin Sheen has a heart attack. So there's a very infamous scene where he punches a mirror and he literally has a heart attack in that scene. Um, the movie is so intense, but the movie is gorgeous. And I, I think um, I think Hearts of Darkness was the original book. And the, the premise of the book is that the further down the river you go, the more fucked up things get. Mm. And, and so, wow, people are just beeping their horns out here. What the fuck? You guys are supposed to be, <laughs> you guys are supposed to be quarantined. I hope you're wearing masks. Uh, so the, 
further down the river you go, the more fucked up it gets. And he does such a great job going from like a Vietnam movie to like this surrealist sort of nightmare thing. And mm. the lighting in it is amazing. The lighting in it is fucking phenomenal. And the acting in it is great. Uh, there's a very young, what's his name? Not Morgan Freeman. Who played Morpheus? And, uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. There's a very young teenage Lawrence Fishburne in it. Um, I think, yeah, there's a very young Harrison Ford in it. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. And this is like right around that time in that camp where like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all that stuff, Lucas and Spielberg and Coppola were all buddies. Mm. Uh, so it's a fucking great movie. Uh, it's a really slow burn, but it's a good watch. I'd be fascinated to see what you guys think. Awesome. Looking forward to it. So anyway, enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much. You have a good day. Okay. Okay. Sounds great. Cool. Stay safe.